It is beautiful out, beautiful day. Uh, it is a nice day where we're going to do a walk for uh, uh, the nice food pantry and uh, thankful for uh, those who have donated. I know Bill and I are going to uh, go for this. Uh, we'll, we'll probably run it. We'll probably run the, the 5K. Uh, Bill and I are going to race. So uh, uh, that will be pretty exciting. Well, today is going to be a little bit different uh, than uh, what we're used to. Uh, we're used to hearing a, a message that is uh, pre-prepared, uh, where we're digging into some scriptures. Today, uh, as I uh, alluded to the week we came back, uh, I am, this is, uh, was my scheduled time uh, in my plan to share about our trip to Ethiopia. Uh, we went to Ethiopia, there were seven of us, uh, and we had an unbelievable time. Uh, but uh, what does your title say in your notes there? Seeing Jesus work. You know, everything in our life is about Jesus. And going to Ethiopia or going to the Little League game or stopping at the Casey's in Leland or connecting with somebody at the track meet, all of those things are about seeing Jesus work. And Jesus uh, is doing awesome stuff all over the world. And, and my goal is, is to somehow praise him in sharing some stories, in, in uh, letting you see some imagery um, of just how awesome Jesus is. And every, every trip that we go on, it, it, it seems Jesus is magnified even more. And uh, this trip uh, was very similar to that. So seeing Jesus work. This is the seven people uh, from left to right. You guys know Dylan. Uh, and then Dylan's sister is, is to, the, to our right of Dylan. And then there's Maddie. And then in the middle is uh, Dylan's grandmother, Pat. Uh, she came here to church uh, the week before we went to Ethiopia. And then Sherry's mom, my mother-in-law, Sue. And then there's Jacob. And, and then there's me. So this was the seven. Uh, I'm not sure about the magnificent seven. But we had a great time. And we laughed. And we were sad at times. But we always glorified the Lord. And what we were thinking and what we were saying... That was what it was about. It was about Jesus, seeing Jesus work. And, and that's the great thing about us as humans is that that's what we're built for. We're built to be the hands and feet of Jesus whenever we can, and Ethiopia uh, was no exception of that. I'm going to talk about different things. Here's just three quick images uh, to get you thinking. Shoes, bread, and prayer. Those, those are three simple yet profound things uh, that uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, dig in. If you have questions that are already rolling through your head or that uh, you have during the time, uh, the notes are, are blank uh, on there for you. Uh, you're welcome to write those down, and then we'll have a time of, of Q&A. And it would be helpful if you did ask a, a few questions uh, for, uh, for the sake of 
of our time here. Luggage. So uh, we each get two pieces of luggage to take, 50 pounds each. And, uh, and then normally on top of that, we take a backpack each and we take a carry-on bag. And uh, in this particular trip, uh, we go there and we have all of our bags. We, we, we take them in. We all have our backpacks and our carry-on bag. And uh, Qatar Airlines says, oh, you only get either your backpack or your carry-on, not both. Well, that's a big deal because we have those like almost perfectly weighed out and we have all the bags weighed out. So they said, you just need to go over there and see if you can figure it out. We talked them into giving us some more weight, uh, uh, 18 or 20 pounds instead of 15 pounds for our carry-ons. Uh, and so we spent hour and 45 minutes adjusting everything uh, and, and finally got it to the point where we all just had our backpacks and, and we all had everything in our bags uh, and we had to actually give away some food and stuff that we had in it. Well, when all things were said and done and we're finally checking in, we realized uh, we had seven people, we're allowed 14 suitcases, we had 12 suitcases. We had two extra suitcases that we didn't even have to worry about. We could have just said, okay, we'll just use these two as uh, check-in. Uh, but it was interesting because that moment was our first moment. We just got dropped off by Jeremy Anderson. He drove us uh, there and dropped us off. And we had uh, um, adversity. And how was I going to handle that as the leader of the group? How was I going to uh, mesh that together to say how the Lord gets the glory even in this? And it worked out. We were smiling in the end. There was a little bit of anxiousness uh, during the hour and 45-minute transfer of stuff. But God got the glory. And you know, all the time in our lives we have weird adversities, and it's all about how we look at it. How are you looking at the situations that are happening to you? And are you saying, woe is me? And we do that way too often. We say, woe is me. Oh, this is such a bad situation. Oh, no, we can't take this on or we can't do that. Someone's stopping us from doing something. When I think if we get the perspective that Jesus wants us to have, I think our perspectives can be like, wow. This is an interesting opportunity. How can we bless somebody else? In fact, the lady at Qatar, who was checking us, uh, doing our bags and checking us out, we gave her a whole bunch of food. She's in Chicago. She works for Qatar. She's originally from, uh, I can't think of the country that she was from. It was obviously not America. Whatever the case, she was taking any food that we'd give her, which is not normal at the Chicago O'Hara Airport. But she was taking anything. So we just used that as a blessing. And we loved her through the process. And, and I said, uh, uh, how are we going to make sure that these bags get to go through? She goes, I will be at your ticket counter when you guys take off. And she was there. And she was there. So bags, that's our, that was our first thing. So this is me, I, I ordered this uh, 
this uh, $18 sleeping pillow thing that had a hood to it. And this thing was like large and go any direction. And I'll tell you what, it was the greatest investment that I made. I never buy those travel pillows. Jacob always has a little travel pillow and stuff like this. Well, I ordered this. This, this is like the, the Cadillac of travel pillows, even though it wasn't super expensive. But I ordered this bad boy, and it was huge. And, and so I want to comment two things about this. Number one, number one, it's okay to be comfortable sometimes. It's okay to find a, a spot where you're just comfortable with things, where you can uh, just engage and be happy and, and, and love on other people that you, you already know, you already uh, are, are familiar with, and that's okay. And you know what? Go ahead and spend a little money on that comfort too. There's nothing a, a, a wrong with that scripturally. Uh, but the point of this image was have fun in life, okay? Because there's a lot of us that, that focus on the negatives, focus on uh, uh, things that are going bad or things that are going wrong or things that we're constantly thinking about instead of just thinking about how can I bless other people? How can I love them so much that I'm actually going to have fun? That I'm actually having fun in life and being silly and, and, and being happy. I was the leader of this group, and, and I might have been the goopiest guy there. But I needed to take that role at many times because it needed, we needed to be a little bit more lighthearted. There was obviously major times where we were dead serious, and we had to be serious. But have fun. Have fun. This is just a picture of the seats, and we weren't comfortable. We're flying 20 hours, 20, uh, 21 hours there, I think, was total time from taking off to, to getting there and, and 22 and a half hours on the way back. Um, it, it's just interesting that this is a stopper for many people for serving on mission trips. I'm not saying mission trips are, are what you have to do. I, that, that is not the message that I'm getting in the sense of uh, international mission trips. We are missionaries. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us that clearly, that our job is to, to spread the gospel anywhere we can to all nations. And everybody has a different role in that uh, from, uh, from your abilities and your skill sets. But it's interesting how many times I have heard that this, these seats, are stoppers. It's $11,000 for first class. These tickets were $800, lowest we've ever bought them for, normally about $1,200. Not many people are going to purchase the first class tickets. They'd rather use that money for a lot of other things. But this becomes a stopper. Don't let little things in life stop you from spreading the gospel. Don't let that kid that's laughing at you at school be a stopper for you living your faith in Jesus Christ or, or being, being 
so grateful for the love of Jesus. Don't let that person at work who you know is just going to be so annoying if you say anything about Jesus, if you say anything about God, if you say anything about love or caring about people, they're going to mock you. Don't let it be a stopper for your mission of whatever that is. We have, huge, we have a huge mission, a mission that we can't even uh, fathom. It's spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that through love. We do that through care. Next image. That's a fajita, by the way, chicken fajita in Ethiopia. But prayer, dining with other people. That's one of our drivers that you can see in that picture. Prayer is absolutely crucial. And, and I've told you this probably numerous times, I do not pray enough. Not nearly enough. Uh, not focused on it enough. And I'm sorry for that. But prayer is crucial. Prayer is crucial uh, while we're in the midst of trouble. While we're in that foxhole and we've got fire coming at us, prayer is crucial. Prayer is crucial when we're on top of the mountain and we have no worries at all. Prayer is absolutely crucial. As we get ready for battle, as we're preparing, as we see a battle being victorious, all those times prayer is crucial because that's communing with our best friend, the one who loves us more than any, anything that we could understand. That was, that was communion this morning. That was a reminder for us to be humble towards our king. Prayer is a, is a major factor. This was us in the packing when we were at the airport changing bags and shifting things around. All of these things we either gave away or threw away because we didn't have room for them, or at least we thought we didn't have room for them. But you know, there's times in our life that we have to get rid of certain things because they're weighing us down. And we have, to, we have to truly either get rid of them or we have to go to somebody for help on how to get rid of it. We have to figure out how to deal with the situation and we have to be able to sometimes just throw it away. But many times, what that means is that you're just opening your hands and saying, God, I need your help. I need you to help me with this, and I need you to take this from me. If you're struggling with an addiction, if you're struggling with, with something, that uh, a constant worry, a constant um, uh, emotion that is not of the Lord, you need to give it up. I need to give it up. I need to open my hands to the Lord and be able to give it away. And Dylan's grandmother, Pat, she was not happy. She didn't want to give any of this away. She wanted to give it to the kids in Ethiopia. 
and that, that was good. I mean, she drove all around to all the Walgreens and picked up all this stuff. But you know what? There, it was a moment where we just needed to give it up. This is Pat. We, we made a stop. Uh, we were at the bank, actually, uh, exchanging money, and it, it's an interesting experience. If you've ever exchanged money in a foreign country, uh, you go in there, and uh, in this particular situation, they, they moved us around. I, I don't know if I told this story to you guys, but they moved us around the counter. Okay, there, There's like seven people just sitting on chairs, I think are customers, I'm not sure. There's armed guards at the door at every bank. And, and then, so we just sat there, and I'm sitting next to what I think is maybe one of the bosses, and he's got a computer there. And we're, I, don't, I don't know what's taking so long. We're exchanging $300 or whatever it was, but it's taking forever. The guy who we're sitting by, I'm just watching him on his computer and, and taking notice of, what he's doing, and, and he logs on to his program, then logs off. Logs on to the program, types a couple things, backspaces, logs off. Over and over and over. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe this guy, someone's tracking how many times he logs on and off, and he's acting like he's working. Because in this bank, there are, the money will go through four people's hands because no one trusts anyone else. And, and so, so it's just interesting. I don't know what this guy was doing at all, but he seemed like he was somewhat in charge, but he just kept logging in and logging off. We finally got our money, but we come out, and Pat, along with whoever else was in the van, are talking to this mom and this little kid, and Pat, and I don't know if you caught it in the little video, she's dancing with this little guy. And you know, they're Ecclesiastes. There's a time to dance, right? And, and, and this was a time which brought joy to Pat as a 72-year-old young lady and brought joy to that family. They gave her, they gave her food and, and a little bit of cash. But she was just loving the opportunity to dance with this young man. And you know what, there's young people all around, all of us old people can love on and can, can appreciate and can hold and, and can dance with. And, and, and we get so much into a situation where, where oh, I don't want to bother, I don't want to be involved in, that, in, in their life, I don't want to bug them, I don't want to connect with them. I heard of a, of a grandmother whose grandchildren live 40 minutes from her, and she hasn't seen them since Christmas, and she'll see them next Christmas. Because one of the parents isn't happy with her. There are so many opportunities you can seek to either reconcile or develop those relationships and friends, you need to, me, we need to find ways to connect with the youth. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are as adults, 
We need to connect with the youth and we need to love on them and teach them and, 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 and sometimes not share anything about Jesus with them. Just love on them so much that they see Jesus' work in your life. I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying to shy away from the gospel, but I'm saying sometimes uh, we want to get so, uh, start speaking Christianese before we've just loved on them and care about them and, and, and take care of maybe a need that they have. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's just about, you see a kid over there, hey, we've got this church camp coming up and I'd like to sponsor you to go to this church camp. It's going to be an awesome thing. They're going to do paintballing, and they're going to do all this, and, and there's going to be a, a time of singing, and, and they're like, oh, well, well, what's that? Well, I'm going to sponsor you. You talk to mom and daddy, you help them out. Just look for ways to dance with these kids, and obviously not, sometimes not in real ways, but Pat just danced. She just took the opportunity as the family walked by. And you know, sometimes you're in a foreign country, your confidence level goes up significantly. How many people have here been in a foreign country or a third world country especially? There's a confidence level that, that just goes up. Maybe you understand what I'm saying. And then I always say, why don't I have that here? Why don't I have that, the confidence to connect with people and to, to interject and to love on people the way I do sometimes when I'm in Ethiopia? I don't know. This is Johannes. You, you, you saw the video as uh, we hugged him. Johannes is the young man uh, that uh, I have been in contact with for six years. And Johannes, uh, we would love an opportunity to bring Johannes uh, to America. He's unadoptable, as they say in, uh, um, in the adoption world just because of a lot of unique situations for Johannes. Uh, but there is a possibility that he can come and, and be educated in America, live with us. Uh, that's called an F1 visa student. Um, but there's still a lot of hurdles for that. This is when we first saw him. We, he was supposed to meet us at our, at our place first thing in the morning when we got there Thursday morning, we got there at 12.30 in the morning. And so we slept, and, and I assumed by the time we woke up, Johannes was going to be there. And he wasn't. And then we got word that Johannes had to go to school all day. So he wouldn't be back until 4 or 5 o'clock. So that was kind of frustrating because we had worked it all out ahead of time. Well, we went there, and, and we're like, well, let's just go to his, his house, his orphanage. And we went there, and we're just kind of uh, looking around and, and doing different things. And then all of a sudden, we hear, hey, Johannes is up in his room. Do you want to go see him? He had been up in his room the whole time. The whole day, he had been at the house. They got the information wrong. And so this was us finally getting to see him and, and love on him. Who are you investing in at, at a level that takes money, takes time, takes energy, takes thought, takes lots of prayer. Who are you investing in that's not your child? 
We naturally invest in our children. We naturally invest in, in the people that are, are right around us. But who are you investing in um, in a mentoring way or, or in a, a loving uh, connection way? Who is that? Who is that person? One of our favorite things to do is to give out dabu, bread. We love giving out bread. And some of you actually uh, handed me some money before I went to Ethiopia uh, so we could buy bread. And we bought bread every single day. And we bought lots of bread. These, these are different pictures. Uh, you see the one man on the top left. He just got bread. He's, he's about to get some more. Uh, in the video, you saw that. Uh, Jacob on the bottom left. Uh, these are full loaves of bread. Each full loaf uh, cost about 70 cents. And, and uh, so we bought a lot of it because we had, we had about $300, I think, in Dabu money, meaning that was kind of what I noted it for. Uh, so that was pretty, pretty amazing, the amount of bread. I and mean, we literally would be walking from bakeries with, with bags and bags jam-packed, and these bags were like this big. Uh, it was awesome. And so uh, Jacob in the top right, these are young girls heading to school. And, and so they gave them Pringles, uh, little packaged Pringles, uh, and, then, uh, and then some Dabu. And then Dylan on the bottom right also giving out Dabu. Wherever we went, we gave away bread. And we, I talked about it in one of my messages, how uh, I shared bread, and then I shared the bread of life with people. And you know, sometimes to connect with people, what do you have to do? You have to feed them. Uh, I know Sherry and I, we ran a uh, youth ministry at our home when we first got married. Before we got married, uh, when, when we first got, I, got, I was living in the house, and uh, we started a youth group with the kids that we were coaching. But it was crucial, it was a Sunday, it was always Sunday uh, afternoon, that we had food. We had cookies, or we had something. And food sometimes, uh, lots of times, is a wonderful thing uh, to gather around, uh, to connect with. It's not, it doesn't have to, but when you can share bread with somebody, it does give you opportunities to, to share the bread of life. And, and, and we were not only doing that, and many times here, we weren't sharing one thing about Jesus Christ. We were just giving them bread to eat because they were hungry. Many times we gave them cards that, and you've seen those cards, the prayer cards uh, that had a mark on one side, and, but a lot of them are illiterate, so they couldn't read that card anyway. But we just gave them bread and loved on them. Everywhere you, you go in Ethiopia, Ethiopia, people are selling, especially kids, are selling stuff on the streets. We bought two soccer balls, two footballs, uh, on the street. Uh, one of them, I think, ended up on someone's roof. Uh, and, and they, I mean, and you think of it, they're selling it. Belts, hats, uh, scarves, necklaces. They sell all kinds of stuff. 
these young men are selling bottles of water. I don't know what the costs were, uh, but whenever Dylan and Jacob were involved, somehow, so, so let's say the bottle of water cost uh, 20 burr, somehow they'd be handing 100, 100 burr uh, for one bottle of water. Even though we had water every day, we were provided big bottles of water. Uh, Jacob and Dylan uh, gave their money out uh, at a tremendous speed. <laughs> you know, sometimes we need to do that, don't we? We need to give our things away at a tremendous speed. Uh, we need to be willing to uh, share our resources with other people. I, that's what Bill was talking about earlier with the grace of giving. One of the reasons you give to the church is so we can give it away to other people. So we can spread the gospel here. In this case, uh, we're helping these young men. And it's interesting to think Jacob, as a nine-year-old, was doing this exact same thing. He told us stories about sneaking out of the orphanage and, what was it, selling gum? Is that what you'd sell? Yeah, he, he would sell gum. And uh, I know uh, Grandma Pat, she was trying to buy the banana gum. She's like, man, I haven't had this since the 80s. <laughs> and so she was actually asking future sellers of these gum, hey, do you have any banana gum? I mean, she, she was truly looking for it to take home. But Jacob, who goes back to his home, homeland and he serves these same kids and he hands out 100 burr to these same kids of exactly what he was doing. That, that's powerful stuff. You know, God has, has probably brought you from some point to where it is now. And, and how do we serve the people that don't know Jesus or how we serve people that maybe know Jesus but don't have certain things in their life. And we know it from empathy, from, from experience, from who we were once before. It's a great picture. And you know, everyone needs water. Everyone needs water. So it was a good purchase. But these kids, they need Jesus just the same as we need Jesus. I think there's one more. Oh, two more. This is our friend Bira. Bira is 21, maybe 22. I can't remember his age. And he was our interpreter. And uh, he did a, did a pretty good job. We've had better interpreters in the sense of Busy. If you guys remember Busy, I've talked about him. I mean, Busy's the best. And so we were a little disappointed that we had Bira We've known Bira before. Uh, he's grown up a lot. Uh, so I've known him for about four years, five years. But now he's a man. From an interpretation standpoint, he did a pretty good job. Sometimes he wasn't available. He was texting or talking with the kids or something. But what this image is, why I have this image up there, is about relationships. And Jacob and, and Dylan uh, became good friends with Bira during their time there. They connected very well. They, they actually rode in this little uh, 
taxi, that's a three-wheeler. Uh, I don't know how you guys did that, by the way. How many people were in that taxi? Five people in this taxi that you shouldn't have five people in. But you know what, they built this bond and this connection, and it's, it's relationships. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we struggle even with our spouse, developing a relationship that's a strong bond. I know Sherry and I, we talk about this uh, way too frequently. We've been married 21 years. 21 years this year uh, is how long we've been married uh, this month. We've been married a long time, yet we don't talk enough about how to connect, how to get close, how to, how to build that relationship uh, so we're uh, tremendously in love with one another. And, and, and so spouses, that's a, that's a good thing to have that conversation. I'm not saying it to the men and I'm not saying it to the women. Spouses, we, we are responsible for those conversations. But then you've got friendships when you are brothers in Christ, when you are sisters in Christ, are you developing those friendships? Outside of your little circle, are you developing friendships where you're connecting with people in dynamic ways? And you know what? Sometimes that, that you have to do supper together. You have to spend time together. We spent seven days every single day with Bira. One day, one day shy of that. He, he wasn't with us one of the days. We were with him all the time, and the relationship was built pretty strong, where we'd all say he's our friend. We appreciate him. Friendships. And the last thing I think I, I have up here is shoes. This, this is a picture from Johannes's orphanage. Community shoes, I'm not sure. Uh, what, what that was all about, but I thought about it and I said, I wonder what it's like to walk in their shoes. And sometimes that's what a mission trip is all about, walking in someone else's shoes, understanding who they are, appreciating what they're going through. And sometimes we're too fast to look at a situation and assume we understand it and can't figure out why they aren't handling it the way they should handle it. We don't know what's going on in that home. We don't know what's going on in that particular person's life. Until we've walked in their shoes, we don't know. And so uh, Scripture teaches us uh, Philippians 2. I left my phone in there that had the verse marked. Philippians 2, I think it is, uh, about how we are to love one another at a tremendous focus. Jesus Christ taught us how to love because he first loved us. And, and how do we love people in spite of what's going on in their life, in spite of uh, their um, situation, and not look at their situation and say, man, I want to hold that off. I don't want to be involved with that. I, I want to make sure I'm pushing that aside. No, how do we get in there and we put on their shoes and we say, okay, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. 
Let's do this together. Let, let's figure out how we're going to get through this together uh, as brothers in Christ, as sisters in Christ. And, and that's what we did in the, on the trip. That's what we were able to do is, is that we were able to kind of put their shoes on. But we had, we had the, the knowledge that we were flying home in a few days. And so we couldn't even officially do that because we knew that we were putting home. That's why we love on Johannes for six years. We have tried to put his shoes on and try to understand his life. And that makes us really sad at times. But we just keep loving him through it. What questions do you have? Any questions that you have? Dan. The, the prevailing language is Amharic. Uh, that's the national language. They have 88 languages, uh, not just uh, um, dialects, but 88 different languages. So if you get certain parts of Ethiopia, they don't even understand Amharic, even though that's the national language. Yeah. So most people speak multiple languages. Jacob spoke three languages in some fashion when we adopted him. Now he speaks one, English. <laughs> Patty? Yeah, so the que I'm repeating it for the audio. So, so the question is, is, do we have a goal of going back? I do. Uh, it's something Sherry and I are talking about. Um, in my mind, February of 2019, uh, February is a one of the cheapest months uh, to go to Ethiopia for staying and for flying. Uh, so that's just kind of our tentative goal. We'll see where life takes us. Yep. Are you thinking about going, Patty? No, I'm still looking I'll put you on my list. We do. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so anything that we could just purchase there, we like purchasing there, then we don't have to travel with it. But we'll definitely, we won't take as much candy next time. That was cool. It was different. But it probably won't, something we won't do again uh, because we could just buy bread there and we could use that weight to take shoes and soccer balls. Like, we didn't have any soccer balls with us this trip. And that's a huge thing. So I told Pat that, Grandma Pat, she's the one who got all the candy from all the Walgreens, and she goes, oh, I wonder if we can get a hold of the uh, soccer manufacturers. And then, I mean, she just started going crazy. I loved it, loved the idea. Uh, so, well, we're going to probably go that direction, but we don't know yet. So, and some of it is I ask questions to the people there. Hey, what do you guys need in this particular area or whatever? Good question. Reggie. Reggie asked a very interesting question. He, Reggie asked, how old do you have to be to go over there? Uh, you know, there's two people or haven't been. Reggie's never been back, but Molly's never been to Ethiopia, and Molly is not happy about that. Uh, she's the only one in our family who's never been to the country. Uh, so the next trip, Reggie and Molly are slated uh, to go with me 
uh, to Ethiopia. I'd say 12 years old is where we would look at, or 11 and almost 12, which would be 2019 for Reggie. Uh, but um, I, like, I like them to be around 12 or older uh, because of just the management of that situation. I'm actually, in my mind, I want to take a group of 16 uh, to my next trip, which requires two vans um, when we're traveling. This is a one van. My last two trips have been one van, and I may even work with the organization that I've worked with in the past called Ordinary Hero, because uh, they have a lot of different things that they're doing now uh, that I might want to get involved with that I haven't in the, uh, in the past. Um, but that's a great question, Reggie. How old uh, should you be? Yeah. We take believers and non-believers, people that don't trust in Jesus and people that trust in Jesus completely. And, and the reason I do that, uh, I wasn't going to do that. In fact, the church I was belonged to in uh, Indiana, they only let believers go on their mission trip. And they said it was a maturity thing. They wanted to be fully prepared. And the, the organization that I've worked with, Ordinary Hero, I asked them that question. They said, oh, definitely, you work with everybody, whoever wants to go. But you do not shy in the pre-trip meetings of how the gospel is going to be preached, how you're going to share in devotions, how you're going to uh, gather together. And, and so there's a mission field within the mission trip. And, and I know Pastor Dave probably could say this too with his trips to, to prison. It's a mission trip with the people you're taking to the prison. Especially like when he takes the Wheat, uh, kids from Wheaton, let alone the men that have gone from here. A and uh, I have, Michelle Daly is one I think of immediately who gave her life uh, when she went on the missions trip. Her life has been transformed. She went back the second year with me and stayed for a whole month, and I baptized her in Ethiopia uh, that second year but she is fully committed to Jesus Christ. Her dad died one year later. Suddenly. But because she had Jesus Christ in her life, she was a rock in that process. Even though she was so sad, so upset, she was able to withstand that storm because of Jesus Christ. And it was, if I would have not allowed believers, non-believers on the trip, uh, we could have missed that wonderful opportunity. Dan. Total cost per person is the question. Um, I would say 1,500 is a, is a guess, about 1,500. Yeah, so I, I estimated it was about 4500 for the three of us. Uh, we were blessed by someone donating uh, a, a considerable portion of that uh, for the Chapman family uh, this time. And God seems to always do that, doesn't he? I know Julie was talking about that the other day, about going to, uh, going to Uganda. God just, he comes through, and you, you kind of just praise him for that uh, opportunity. Johannes? 
Yeah, so when we're working with Johannes, uh, he is a high schooler. Uh, he is in sixth grade, as he says. So I don't know what that officially means. He, he's 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and, he, and so Dylan actually did his uh, senior presentation with Johannes as the centerpiece of how education is being done in Ethiopia. Uh, Dylan passed his senior presentation. So did Allie. Allie did it on a different subject. And uh, Johannes said he studies physics and chemistry and math and social studies and all the regular subjects. He has seven teachers every day. So, yeah. Yeah, so education is different there. And it's not as uh, obviously as strong. Uh, the mean age uh, of the country is 17.8. Lots of orphans. So you think about that, the mean age in the United States, I think, is 38. Their mean age is 17. That's pretty crazy to think about so many kids and so little adults. So their teachers are actually 16, 17, 18, 19 years old because they can't get teachers. And so all you have to do is have an education at all, be literate, have an opportunity, then you can get certified in different ways. So education is vastly different. We are way more advanced educationally. They do have universities. They have all kinds of different opportunities. Uh, but their um, ability to uh, get educated is much less. Yes? How long to drive to Ethiopia? Yeah. You know, someone actually asked me that, I think legitimately. I said, eh, there's no bridges. So not that long. So 20, 21 hours uh, on a flight. Yeah. 7,500 miles. So you can figure that out. About 7,500 miles straight as the crow flies. Uh, yeah, there might be one or two. Julie? Yeah, we went to Qatar, the country of Qatar. I had ne never been there. Qatar is the wealthiest country in the world. And we stopped at Qatar and uh, um, ate Burger King, which cost $31 for three of us at Burger King. And then I got charged two ninety-five for uh, international fee because I used my debit card there. That was a safe place to use a debit card. I had checked ahead of time. And... Uh, so we stopped at Qatar for two and a half hours. It, it's the most magnificent airport I've ever been in. Unbelievable airport. And then from there, we flew straight to Ethiopia. And when we flew home, when I looked at it, we went from Ethiopia back to Qatar. We had to lay over there, switch planes. So we fly a, a, like a, I don't know what it is, a 727 or some, some other number that I had never flown. Then we get on a 777 to fly the, the long trip. But we flew north and then went to over Iceland, over Greenland, and then you start going south because of the globe. And, and you want to hit the country, you want to be above, above land if you need to make an emergency stop. And so then we flew straight through Canada 
and then all the way down to Chicago. So you, normally we, we, uh, we go to uh, Dulles Airport in Dallas, or in DC, and, and so that's usually where we go through customs and everything. This time we flew right into O'Hare. Completely different experience. And all of us got passed when you get your ticket, except for Dylan's sister, Kelsey, who got the check mark, which means she had to stand in line. So everybody went through, uh, through the line, and I said, I'll just stay with Kelsey. I didn't want her to be by herself. And, and so we, I mean, I bet it was 45 minutes just waiting in the line for, for no reason, because as soon as we got up to the line, they said, wait a minute, are you guys flying together? Yeah, all right, come on up. All right, see you guys. Welcome to America. So I don't know why you just get stopped sometimes, but uh, yeah, we stopped at Qatar. So and usually we, we go to Dulles in DC and we fly straight to Ethiopia when we're flying Ethiopian Airlines. And then on the way home, we take Ethiopian Airlines, we fly up to uh, Rome, we fuel up, but we never get off the plane, and then we fly over, and that takes one hour, they change crew, and then they fly to Dulles, and then we fly to Chicago. Dan? Yeah, so there was one sign in the video that said, uh, the Bizrak Guest House. We stay at, uh, if you've got the Hilton, and you've got uh, the Roach Motel, uh, we stay at, at just above halfway of that. It's pretty nice for Ethiopia. We have hot water most times. Uh, we have electricity most of the time, and we have Wi-Fi most of the time, and we all have our own beds. It's seriously really, really nice. It's owned by Ordinary Hero, the organization that I've gone with. They purchased it uh, from, uh, they didn't know how they were going to purchase it, and one of their people that was traveling on the trips died suddenly, uh, a mom who was like 36 years old. And with, uh, with the money that she got actually from the death, the husband donated and they finished off the purchase of the entire place. Um, it's not cheap. Housing and cars are more expensive than they are here. And so it's not cheap. I don't know how much it costs, but it, it probably was half a million dollars, quarter, three quarters of a million, I'm not sure, US dollars is very expensive. But we stay at a, it's all like marble type floors and it's really interesting. No, no, yeah. The, the food, we didn't eat there one time at our own guest house, uh, except for breakfast. So, and I had done that in the past, we've eaten at the guest house, but half the time we're just wasting money because most of the people aren't eating uh, on the trip. Jacob and Dylan, they pretty much eat anything that, that's there. And uh, so they're easy to deal with. But for the rest of us, we, we found this one uh, restaurant called Sushi. Uh, I, is that what it's called, Jacob? Sushi, S-U-S-H-I. And uh, it was an Ethiopian-born lady who moved to America for, uh, for quite a stint. She moved back to Ethiopia and created a burger joint. And, and it is, <laughs> you're right, not sushi. And it is a fancy place where normal Ethiopians aren't going there. Uh, it's, it's a wealthy place, so it costs us a little bit of money, but the burgers literally 
tastes American, <laughs> which is hard to do. It's hard to do in Ethiopia. Yes. Ma majority of people lose weight on this trip. Yes. Oh, yeah, we pack snacks. Yeah, I mean, you could, but it just weighs so much. So we don't bring much liquid of anything. And uh, Dylan's sister brought most of her own food. So she has an interesting diet. So she brought most of her own food, packed it up and made it, and I don't know what she did. But I'll take one more question if, if uh, someone else has a question. Yeah, so this year was scary. Uh, I've never been worried in Ethiopia except for uh, two official times. Uh, one time was when we were at Jacob's orphanage and we were visiting there again and, and we were giving all kinds of clothes and, uh, um, and the people from, were on the streets uh, on the fence. They were actually pushing the fence down because there were so many people. It was almost we were going to get mobbed. I had 16 people on that particular trip, and we were giving away clothes, and people were just coming in, and we were handing it to them, but they were, like, standing. It was almost a scary moment, having my picture in my head of all these people. They didn't know what they were getting. They just wanted to get whatever it was, and so now they're shoving kids through the fence, having their kids run and go get whatever they could, and I just saw the fence just leaning like this, and I'm like, it's going to come down, and we are going to be mobbed. And so we jumped in the vans, and I just yelled to my buddy Nels, and I said, you count. <laughs> Who's the call from? <laughs> and, and so that was a scary moment. And then we had a scary moment with, uh, with a cell phone stolen this time, and I was just scared of a particular kid there. But that didn't change just because those were two unique situations. What changed was uh, there was unrest in Ethiopia this time we went. And it was because the prime minister uh, was no longer there. And a large portion of the country, uh, I'm going to say Orion uh, is, is the area, but I, I, I could be wrong, all around Addis Ababa, which is the capital of, of basically all of Africa. It's where the Africa, uh, where they all assembled together in Addis Ababa. That's its own like entity, almost like its own state. And so all around it is this other nation in Ethiopia where Jacob and Reggie are from. It's kind of like a different nation, even though it's all Ethiopia. Well, there was unrest because they wanted their person as the new prime minister. And so they had, they started causing uh, riots. Never before in this area had there been riots uh, in recent history. And so we were told we couldn't go see Jacob's hometown. We were told we couldn't go out to this other place called Saluda because of the unrest. Well, right before we got there, uh, they started meeting about the prime minister. And so the unrest, they agreed to stop. And so uh, the day we were leaving, they actually appointed the prime minister, and it was the prime minister they wanted, which, which was half Christian, half Muslim, because his mom was Christian and his dad was Muslim. But all my friends tell me he's actually a Christian, but he just rolls with it because they, they like that, because those are the two religions in, in that country. So unrest, I was nervous about that this time. Uh, but I'm confident from all my people there that we didn't have anything to worry about. Sherry and I were examining it a week before. 
We didn't tell the kids about it. We didn't tell anyone about it. We were examining it pretty heavily. We were going to every person we knew who was in the country or who frequents the country to find out all the details. So that's something that's changed. Thanks for your time, friends.